very popularly called specters, sometimes called spooks, sometimes uh, a German term for especially a child ghost or a ghost of a child, poltergeist, and there are a number of other terms and we could go on and all of that. Uh, all of these terms, a lot of these words are coming from different languages, poltergeist from German, seems spook is some kind of a Slavic term or Scandinavian term or whatever, but anyway, from different languages, which shows you that belief in ghosts is kind of a universal thing. A lot of people, cultures, etc., believe in them. Basically, when you're talking about a ghost, you're talking about the soul or the spirit of a dead person or an animal. Some people believe that, you know, ghosts of animals, such as dogs or whatever, come back, uh, or horses, in the case of one that we'll mention here in a moment. But the ghost of a, a dead person or animal that appears to the living. So people will talk about having seen a ghost. Every once in a while you may turn on the internet, you know, if your home page pops up with news, and there'll be some funky picture there with maybe a ray of light or something, shadow or whatever, and it'll be circled sometimes, and is this a ghost and that kind of thing. But it appears to people, and people believe they've seen ghosts, and sometimes they believe they've been haunted by ghosts, etc., etc., etc. Now, when you talk about people and what they've seen and descriptions that come in about them, remember, a lot of people believe in them, and I'm going to tell you about how many in this country do, but descriptions vary. And people will say they are barely visible. You know, there's that wispy kind of shape, or like I say, a light that appears in a a picture or something like that, or people say they just see it in the middle of the night. Um, and they go from that to all the way to lifelike figures, where they actually look like a human being, and that varies in different degrees of translucence. And what I mean by that is some people believe they just kind of look like a washed-out human being, all the way to people who say they were, you know, you see right through them, that kind of thing. Now, according to various polls, and I'm going to give you this, such as Gallup, for example, takes a poll about, you know, how many people believe in ghosts. According to actual or various polls, belief in ghosts, belief in actual haunted houses. Now, I'm not talking about the, you know, the little money traps that they throw up at Halloween time, you know, with the goose of spaghetti or whatever. But actual haunted houses, beliefs in communication with the dead, you know, the idea of going to a seance or whatever it might be and actually talking to someone who's died, belief in witches and all of that kind of thing sharply rose in the 1990s. Now, that doesn't mean that people didn't believe in them before they did. Um, for example, when uh, Houdini died, very popularly, I think it was his widow that tried for years and years and years to talk to the dead, that kind of thing, talk to him. So people believe in, believed in it but the 1990s, the polls started showing a sharp rise in it. Whereas you had a few people before that believed in it, a lot of people began to believe in it. So that today, depending on which poll you read, between 30 on the low side and 35% of people believe in ghosts. Now you should think about that. And I got to thinking about that a couple of days ago. And I'm thinking, that means when I walk out here and all these people, one out of three of them believes they're seeing ghosts. That's scary. That's scary. That's more scary than ghosts. You know? <laughs> but that's scary. But 30 to 35% of people in our country believe in ghosts and haunted houses and witches and all that kind of thing. And I'm talking about witches that fly around and all that kind of thing. 30 to 
It's not hard maybe to figure out why. Ghosts have been, you know, there's a sentimental thing. You know, loved one passes away, you don't want to let them go. I understand that feeling. You don't want to let my grandmother go. Um, I find some solace, some comfort, and I never thought I would, in going to her grave site. I know it's only her body that is there, but there is some solace in that. When we go home, I, in, I won't say enjoy, but I want to do that. I feel a, a draw to do that. I guess that idea of wanting to hold on. And then there are things in pop culture. I mean, there have been stories that have been popularized. For example, Charles Dickens. And, uh, you know, his uh, Christmas Carol with the ghost of Jacob Marley and the ghost of Christmas past, present, and I always want to say future, but it's yet to come. And how popular that's become. And, you know, how many television shows pick up on that and do one of their, I remember San, uh, uh, Fred Sanford, you know, was uh, being visited by Lamont. Uh, you don't need to know that, but anyway, it just kind of came to mind. But anyway, it's very popular. And then you move on to writers like J.R.R. Tolkien and the uh, Lord of the Rings and all, and all the crazy creatures that are in that. And maybe Washington Irving, and, and still very popular around Halloween time, is the Headless Horseman. You remember that in the Legend of Sleepy Hollow, where not only is it the Headless Soldier, whose head was blown off by a cannonball, but it's his horse too. And that's why I said dead people are animals. Um, and you go on and on with that, but it's very popular. And when we come down to more modern times, and maybe some of you are saying, man, what in the world is Sleepy Hollow? Maybe some of you younger ones are. But you know different movies through time that have been very popular. You know, there was the uh, advent of Casper the Friendly Ghost. Now, that actually came along in the 1930s. I looked that up, and I was surprised. But I remember how popular Casper was in the 1960s, and I love watching the cartoon. Casper the Friendly Ghost. Um, for some of you that are older, one of the most popular mu- movies in the 1940s was The Ghost and Mrs. Muir. Or Muir, I don't know how you say it, but I see the advertisement for it still. It's still one that's, that's circulating. But later, and some of you that are younger, there were all those Nightmare on Elm Street movies in the 80s and the 90s. There was Ghostbusters. I tried to get Wes to lead the song. I ain't afraid of no ghosts, but he wouldn't do it. But there was Ghostbusters in 1984. There was, uh, who was in that movie? Patrick Swayze, I think. Maybe Demi Moore, Ghost, uh, in 1990. And just, I mean, ad nauseum. I know it makes me sick. But, no, but I mean, just on and on and on. All these movies and writings. And it's more popular now than it ever was. So maybe we look at all of that. And all of that together with maybe the sentimentality that's tied to it. The wanting you know, of, of holding on, the fear that people have that I think uh, because of lack of knowledge, the Bible speaks of a fear that comes from lack of knowledge. People ask me, are you afraid of ghosts? And I say, no. And they say, okay, well, would you go spend that? I wish somebody would offer me a million dollars to stay in a haunted house. If you know anybody that would do that, please tell them to come to me because I will stay in the haunted house, I promise you. No, I'm not afraid of ghosts. But it's because of the faith that I have, and it's the the knowledge that I think I have, and not because I got it on my own, but it comes from the Word of God. But I think it's the lack of knowledge, and I think it's the popular culture, and you mix all of that together with human emotion, and maybe that's why you get 30 to 35% of people who really believe in them, 
strongly believe in them. And they either believe in them, you know, again, as a ghost of a loved one that's coming back to comfort and watch over and take care of. And you get that whole, you know, Jacob Marley type thing. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Or the fear, where people are really afraid, you know, that ghost is coming back to haunt me. And I'm sure I saw that scary thing. Well, what does the Bible say? What does Scripture tell us? Well, a ghost, again, if we go back to the definition, no matter what you call it, is the soul or spirit of a dead person or animal. Let's just stay with people for right now. But the soul of a dead person. And so, scripturally, a person's ghost... I want you to turn over to James 2 with me, if you will. A person's ghost is his soul or his spirit. Now, God, when God created us, you know the story in Genesis 2. God takes of the, the dust, the dirt, the clay of the ground, whatever you want to call it, but he takes of that and forms a body. And then God himself breathed into that body that he had made, and man became, quote, a living soul. So God creates the soul. God created the first body, our two bodies, Adam and Eve. But God breathed the soul, and God creates the soul. Now that's life. When we talk about what, when is a person alive, what does it mean to be alive? We may have all kinds of definitions, but if you'll read with me in James chapter 2, and you'll notice it's in a discussion of faith and works. Like we were talking about this morning, you know, grace, you've got to have the works that go with it and so forth. But verse 24, you see that how by works a man is justified and not by faith only. And then he goes on to talk about the example of Rahab. And look at verse 26 when he says, For as the body without the spirit is dead. So the Bible is acknowledging that when a person dies, their soul or their spirit leaves their body. And so what is life? It's the union of soul and spirit. What is death? It's the separation of the two. Now that doesn't answer all the questions, but it at least tells us what the soul is. It is this... Part of us that's eternal, that God has created, and that comes into our body, so it gives us life. It goes out of our body, or separates from our body, and so we are dead. Now when a person dies, go back with me to the reading that Brother Robinson did, and let's look carefully again at Luke 23. So flip over there with me. Again, remember, as the body without the soul is dead, or without the spirit is dead. Now we go to Luke 23. Oops, I'm going to Mark. So let's go to Luke. Luke 23. We see Jesus on the cross, obviously, as was read for us already. Jesus was coming to the point of death. Now if you remember, I didn't put this on your outline, but if you remember what Jesus had said, no man has the power to take my life from me. I lay it down. Literally, what did that mean? That means that Jesus' spirit, his soul, is going to separate from his body, but he's going to choose when it happens. We can't do that. We can even kill ourselves. We can't come to the exact moment when we tell our soul to leave our body, but he could. And that's, why, that's one of the reasons it points to his being the Son of God. So you look at Luke 23 and drop down again to the reading, and I'm not going to read all of it again. But notice when it says in verse 46, Jesus cried with a loud voice and said, Father... Into your hands I commend or I commit my spirit. And having said that, he chose, and that's a decision on his part, he chose to give up the ghost, or literally to give up the spirit. So he died. 
So when we look at a person who is dying, and sometimes the phrase is used, they gave up the ghost. That's what we mean. Their spirit separated from their body, they die. Now we might look at other passages in the Bible that show us this exact ordinary routine that goes on. Go with me, for example, to, to Ecclesiastes 12. And if we look at Ecclesiastes 12, whoops, we look at Ecclesiastes 12, we'll see that echoing what happened in Genesis, echoing really what we've just seen in James and Luke, the Bible talks about this dual part of us. And so Ecclesiastes 12, drop down to verse 7, when it speaks of our dying, and of course this is in a context where it talks about getting older and all of that, different parts of your body failing, etc. So look at verse 7. Then shall the dust, that is the part of us that's physical, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. Well, that's exactly what happened, isn't it? God took like a clump of dirt, dust, and made a body. And the same thing Adam was made out of, you and I are made out of. Scientists will tell us the exact percentages of carbon that's within us and trace elements that are within us, etc. The dust goes back to the earth as it was. But notice, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So if I understand what that's saying, and I'll tell you straight out what I believe, is that my ghost, or my spirit, that is within my body, was created by God, came into my body at conception, and I became a human being, soul and body. And then, obviously, progressed in the womb and was born and lived as a human being. And someday I will die, and my body will go back to the dust, as it says here. It will decay, and my soul or my spirit will go back to God who gave. And I think that's what Ecclesiastes is telling us is true for everyone. Now, if we were to go, we might ask the question, if it goes back to God, what does God do with it, is the question. So my soul is going back to God. It's not yet judgment day. It's not the time when God says, you know, when Jesus told us so much about judgment day coming, and we meet Jesus in the air, and we go, you know, he will bring us to God, First Peter 3, and we'll be there forevermore. It's not that time yet. So what does God do with the soul, or the ghost, if you will, what does God do with your ghost when it goes back to God when you die? And I think the answer is very clear in Scripture. If you look at Psalm 139 and verse 8, David is contemplating where the, the omnipresence of God. Wes talked a lot about God this weekend. I think he's going to talk about God some this month with us. But when we talk about the omnipresence of God, God is everywhere. We sang a song uh, today that talked about that. God is in a place called Sheol, or in the New Testament, Hades. And David says in Psalm 139 and verse 8, If I go to Hades, behold, you are there. Your spirit is there. I can't go high enough, literally in poetry, I can't go high enough or low enough that God won't be there. And so David is talking about God being in Sheol, or the New Testament, Hades. Now, if we go to the New Testament, we begin to look at different passages. We find that Hades is where dead people go. In fact, I'm not going to turn back and read it, but earlier in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon had said that all of us go to the world or the land of the dead ones, and that's Hades. But when we come to the New Testament, we begin to see this place. And if you'll look with me, for example, at Luke 16. When I look at Luke 16, what I'm seeing is the place 
where souls are spirits or, and please listen carefully, the place where all ghosts are. How come I ain't afraid of no ghosts? I ain't afraid of no ghosts because I ain't in Hades. Ghosts are there. Now, how do we know that? Well, look at Luke 16. Jesus tells this story, and I don't think it is a parable. I think it is a story about real people. It doesn't resemble, uh, in many respects, a parable. But nonetheless, notice what he says, verse 19. There was a certain rich man, I believe a real man, and he was clothed in purple, which is a costly garment or color in that day, fine linen, he ate well, he lived lavishly every day. And there was also this beggar, verse 20, he even names him. His name was Lazarus. And Lazarus was laid at his gate, and he was full of sores, and so much that he just, you know, he's so hungry that he just desired to be fed with the crumbs that fell off the rich man's table. And the dogs came and licked his sores. He's in a pitiful state, obviously, while he's alive. But it came to pass. In verse 22, it comes to pass that the beggar died. And the Bible said he was carried by the angels. Now, let's stop right there. Everything we've looked at so far, everything we've seen, what have we seen? He died. James 2, what does that say? His soul separated from his body. Ecclesiastes 12, what does that say? His body began immediately. And scientifically, it begins immediately to decay back to the dust. But his soul went back to God who gave it. Now, Jesus is telling us more about what God does with it as it goes back to God. So here's what he says. The beggar died, verse 22, and he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Now, wherever that is, that's where he's carried, and that's what God does with the soul. So what is it saying? Well, it's not saying the soul goes to heaven yet, and that would fit, wouldn't it? Because, like, you know, like we see, Jesus is coming back someday, we meet him in the air, then he brings us to God, and that's when we go to heaven and we're there forevermore. So this fits. He's not going to heaven, but he's going to a place that's called Abraham's bosom, or his lap, literally. And if Abraham is, and Abraham is, like the great-grandpa of all righteous people, Old Testament, New, New Testament, then this is like going to your old grandfather's lap. You're like a child being carried to your, your grandfather. Now notice what he goes on to say. The rich man also died, and he was buried. Well, again, from everything we know, his body is buried and begins to decay back to dust. But where does his soul go? Well, he tells you. And in Hades, I know the King James says hell, but it's a different word from hell as we know it. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, and he was in torment. So you get two sides here, don't you? You get a guy that is righteous, even though he lives a pitiful life, he's righteous. And when he dies, his spirit is escorted by two angels. It's like honor, one on each side, escorting a, a dignitary into a place called Abraham's bosom, his lap, a place of luxury. The rich man who is not righteous... He's evil. He's whatever he is, but he's not righteous. And he dies too. And his body is buried, just like all people dying, his body's buried. But his soul goes to Hades. And he lifts up his eyes and he's in torments. And yet, notice what it says here in verse 23, and he, the rich man, being in torments, can see 
Abraham. Well, that only can mean one thing. They are in the same place. At least they're in two parts of the same place. And that's exactly the way the Bible describes it. So let's read. He saw Abraham afar off, and he saw Lazarus in his bosom or in his lap. And he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water. Now, isn't that interesting? Here's a poor beggar guy who would like to have some crumbs off the dude's table to keep from starving. Now the tables are completely turned. Now Lazarus is in a position where he could comfort if it was allowed, and it's the rich man begging. Send Lazarus that he can dip the tip of his finger in water. Cool my tongue. I'm in torments in this flame. Well, the Bible goes on here. Abraham said, Son, remember in your lifetime you, you had a lot of good things. And likewise, Lazarus had evil things. Now he's comforted and you're tormented. And besides all this, verse 26, between us and you... There is a great gulf fix. So I used to, I'll do it tonight. I used to always draw this out like this. And people used to always tell me, oh, you're going to draw that golf ball, that, uh, I'm trying to think of it, the billiard ball, the pool ball on the board. That's right. I'm going to draw the billiard ball. So here's this great big world of Hades. This is what the Bible is saying. A person dies on earth. And there ain't no way I can draw earth. So just, just assume it's over here. A person dies on earth. His body is buried, okay, in a coffin somewhere. His spirit goes to this place, Hades, and goes to one of two places. He goes to a place called Abraham's bosom, or if he's been evil, he goes to a place called Torments. And between them, there's a great gulf, or literally a chasm. A divide, a great one, so it must be far and wide, fixed between the two parts of this place. So when I'm looking at this, what does all this have to do with are there ghosts today? It has everything to do with it. Because that's where all the ghosts are. That's what the Bible is teaching. If you're good, you're in Abraham's bosom. If you're bad when you die, you're in torments. That's where the ghosts are. They're not here. They're there. How do we know that? Well, because God is saying in several passages, numerous passages, when you die, your spirit goes to God. Your spirit goes up, Ecclesiastes 3. It divides from your body, James 2. It goes back to God, Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7. And here is Jesus giving both scenarios, one of, of a good person, one of a bad person, and they're going to the same place, and that is Hades. So are there ghosts today? Yeah. Every person, every human being that has ever died has a ghost. But they're all right there. And they're all awaiting Judgment Day, just like you and I. Now, we could go further with that. I'm not going to tonight, but we could go further and we could see what's going to happen in the future. Those ghost spirits, souls, are going to be reunited with the bodies when Jesus returns. In an hour, all the dead are going to rise. And then everyone who's alive is going to be changed. And everybody's going to stand before Jesus. But that's where our ghosts are, or will be, in the case of us living. And that's where the ghost will be until Judgment Day. Now, we might go further and continue to look at this story here. And, of course, I put down also on your outlines, and you can go and see that this is also where the ghost, or the spirit of Jesus, went. To the same place. Sheol, or Hades, Psalm 16 is called Sheol, Acts 2 is called Hades. This is also the place where Jesus said to the thief, 
Today you will be with me in paradise, Abraham's bosom, a place of luxury, etc. But let's continue to look at Luke 16 for a moment and continue to contemplate the natural order of things and why that would ever be disturbed. Because that's what people really believe. A person might say, and I've had people say, yeah, okay, this is what normally happens. Okay, I buy that. I'm living my life, and I'm either good or I'm bad, and this is what normally happens. But aren't there exceptions to that? What disturbs that order, so to speak, or interrupts that natural order? Well, it is a natural order. In fact, how natural is it? Go with me to 1 Kings. You see, statements like this in the Old Testament. I want to read this one tonight. We hear this at funerals sometimes. When we talk about, you know, someone has just died, we love someone, and they've just passed away. And so this is something like this might be read. One of the places where it says it, and there's more than one. So this is when David is about to die. And David calls Solomon in. Now Solomon is, you know, he already knows Solomon is going to be the king who follows him, etc. So read verse 1 with me of 1 Kings 2. Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged or commanded Solomon, his son, saying, Now notice verse 2. I go the way of all the earth. Wes, I don't know if you ever heard anybody down south, but a lot of older people down south, I always say so-and-so has passed away. That's the way I usually put it. Sometimes people will just simply shorten that to such-and-such brother or sister has passed. But I don't know, Wes, if you ever heard people, but I heard a lot of older people down south who would say, he went the way of all the earth. And they used to quote this. Maybe not so much anymore, but I used to hear this quoted quite a bit. And the first time I ever heard it, I had never heard that before. I had never read it in the Bible, had never heard of it. And then I started running across it in the Old Testament. I go the way of all the earth, but wait a minute. That's what normally happens, somebody said. But sometimes that can be interrupted, maybe. Maybe there's a, you know, kind of a strange situation. And somebody's soul doesn't make it all the way to Hades. And just is sort of in what people will call limbo or something like that. Notice what David said again. I go the way of all the earth. Well, we know what happened to David. And we are told what happened to David. David died. And David was buried. And David's sepulcher, his tomb, Peter tells us in Acts 2, we know it to this day. And we also see where David went to, contemplated going in Psalm 139, and went to Sheol, or Hades. David is saying, I go the way of all the earth. That is the natural order. And what it means is the universal of order. That's what happens. Now, has that ever been interrupted? Has it ever been, you know, has there ever been any exception to that? The answer is yes. There has been. There are at least two people that never died, for example. Enoch never died in the natural sense. He walked with God. You might say, well, Michael, what does that mean? I don't know what it means. (laughs) But he walked with God. He was not. That's literally what the Bible says. Elijah just ascended, never died. But that's not the natural order of things. And yet we even see in Elijah's case, even though in the traditional natural sense we don't see Elijah die, yet we still see Elijah in the spirit form raised like Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration 
and go back. So it is the way of all the earth. But if something is going to change that, it is going to have to be the power of God. Now let me address that in just a moment. But turn to one other passage with me. Look at 2 Timothy 4. I find 2 Timothy 4 very interesting in the language that's used. And you guys know that I love to look at the language the New Testament's written in and kind of because it's a colorful language. And it has some interesting points that are kind of hidden there sometimes. So you know this passage. This is where Paul is saying, I'm now ready to be offered or poured out like a drink offering, depending on your translation. The time of my departure is at hand. You see that in verse 6? The time of my departure. Now that's interesting. Because the word from departure, for departure, literally means this. We think of departure like trains and planes around here. There's arrival and there's departure. And that very much is the idea. Because departure, the word for it, means to loose from something and go somewhere else. So think about it. The train is pulling out of the station. The, the plane is leaving the tarmac to go into the sky for a destination somewhere else. That's what's happening to Paul. Paul is saying to you, I'm going to depart. What does that mean? That means my spirit, my soul, is going to loose from my body. My spirit, my soul, is leaving the station. It's pulling out, and it's going here, is the idea. My body is going to be assume, buried somewhere. I don't know what happens, Paul. But we assume it was buried somewhere. But the time of my departure is at hand. So if something is going to change that, it is going to take the power of God, because that's the natural order, it's going to take the supernatural. Now we might ask a question. Has God ever interrupted the natural order? Yeah, He has. There are places in the Bible we see that. But here's what we see. Someone dies. If we put everything we've seen tonight together, he dies, which means his body is planted somewhere, buried somewhere. Or let's just take an example. Lazarus, his body is put in a a tomb. And when it's put in a tomb, it begins to decay. Four days later, Jesus comes upon it, And the body's already stinking, so it's decayed. But his spirit goes to Abraham's bosom. Now, this is not the same Lazarus in Luke 16, but he goes to the same place. Jesus comes four days later, and what happens? Jesus calls him forth. So what has to happen? Same thing that had to happen to Jesus. Jesus' spirit went to paradise, Abraham's bosom. His body was laid in the tomb. If Jesus is going to come out of that tomb and walk around again, that soul has got to come from Hades, from Abraham's bosom, back into that body, out of that tomb, and walk around. Now, that's what happened to Lazarus in John 11 and 12. So we know people could be raised from the dead. Okay, what does that say? Was their ghost raised? No. They were raised. They lived again. Their soul came into their body. We see that with Lazarus. We see that with Jesus. We know what happened. We could look at, you know, Jairus' daughter, or we could look at the widow of Nain's son, or the the widow in that Elisha, he raised her son from the dead. Always the same. It's not a ghost that's coming back and walking around and all of that kind of thing. It's like Matthew 27. When Jesus died, many graves were opened. Many saints came back to life. 
Many saints went out and appeared to many, but it's not ghosts. And it doesn't tell us their ghost appeared. It says they, the people, just like Lazarus, just like Jesus, just like anyone who was raised from the dead. So again, that doesn't help us. Now, even if that still happened today, and it doesn't, because the Bible teaches us the purpose of those miracles, confirm the word, Mark 16, the duration of those miracles, till the Bible is complete, 1 Corinthians 10. So even if it happened today, and it doesn't, it wouldn't be ghosts, it would be people who would be coming back and appearing. So it's not ghosts that are walking around, and it really never has been. It's only been people raised from the dead. Finally, let's go back to Luke 16, and let me close out with this, because I want to suggest something to you. I know people believe in ghosts, and I've run into a lot of people that do. Sometimes people are encouraged by ghosts. They're comforted that, you know, the grandmother or the mother, the dad, the brother, the sister, the child is, you know, they believe they see their ghost and they're coming and visiting them. You know, I knew one girl that believed her grandmother came and sat in a rocker every night and helped her to go to sleep. Now, that's not funny because it's people who are really missing someone. But I've come to the point of looking at, looking at Luke 16 and not just talking about this, but really trying to notice something with people. So let's look at it again. That's not where, you know, the rich man saying, send Lazarus over to cool my tongue is not where the story ends. To me, it ends on a much, much sadder note. So let's read it together. Go back with me to Luke 16. And we'll pick up where we left off in verse 26. The rich, uh, Abraham is saying to the rich man, besides all this, between us, Lazarus and me, and you, there's this great gulf or chasm fixed, divide fixed, so that they which would pass from here to you. First, I might say, why would anybody ever leave paradise to go to torments? You ever love someone who died lost? If it were possible to go over and spend time in torments and talk to someone and do anything to help them, to ease their pain or whatever, I would bet you a lot of righteous people would suffer the torment if that were possible. Abraham said it's not. People that would go from here to you cannot, and neither can they pass to us that would come from you. And I would suspect that everybody in torments would want to leave. But it's not possible. So the rich man, I think, accepted his fate. And this is what's so sad to me. Verse 27. I pray you, therefore, Father, he's still speaking to Abraham, that you would send him, he's talking of Lazarus, send Lazarus to my father's house. Why would, why would he want him to do that? Because they know Lazarus has died too. Lazarus was the beggar out there probably annoying them every day. Man, that stinking, filthy beggar. I wish he'd just die. And he did. So send him back to my father's house. Why? Because I've got five brothers. And that he may testify unto them lest they also come to this place of torment. Now, I ask you a question. If we're talking about ghosts coming back, ghosts appearing, can you think of any greater reason, any higher cause for a ghost to appear on earth than for the salvation of a human being? I can't. 
In fact, I said I'd come back to Jacob Marley, and if I'm thinking about that whole moral dilemma that goes on with Ebenezer Scrooge and that story, the whole idea of that is that those four ghosts, starting with his ex-now-dead partner Jacob Marley, appearing to him is to save him. He's a miser. He's mean. He's greedy. He's hateful. He talks about human beings like they should just die and decrease the surplus population. So Jacob Marley comes back as a ghost to Ebenezer Scrooge to save him. There's no higher reason than that. And if God were to allow ghosts to appear on this earth, I can't think of any greater reason than to allow a ghost to appear to someone to talk to them about not coming to torment. And that's exactly what the rich man is asking. And let's read what Abraham said. Abraham said unto him, verse 29, They have Moses and the prophets. What's he saying? They've got the Bible. The New Testament hasn't been written at that time. They've got the Bible. Let them hear them. They've got a Bible. Let them read the Bible. Let them listen to the Word of God. Let them be saved by looking at God's Word. The rich man pleaded, verse 30, and said, No, Father Abraham, but if one were to go to them from the dead, they will repent. I know my brothers. They won't listen to the Word of God. They won't listen to God. But man, if somebody came back from the dead, they listen to that. Can you think of a better reason for God to allow a ghost to come back? And Abraham said, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And that's the end of the story. What Abraham is telling the rich man is not even for that high a cause can somebody leave that world unless it's God himself that calls them from that world like a Lazarus. And that was only to confirm the word of God. And it was only for a temporary time. And that time is over. So if a person says, how is it put? A lot of people believe in ghosts. They do. The latest polls between 30 and 35% of Americans believe in ghosts, and most of them believe they've seen one. Are there ghosts today? Yes. There are all the ghosts of all the people who have ever died, and they're there. They're not here on earth. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you're not a child of God, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you know that He is, and you want to confess that. And tonight, you're willing to repent, to live your life, to make changes as you learn, as we talked about this morning, grow in the grace and knowledge. If you want to do that, and you mean to do that, you'll be baptized, your sins will be washed away, and you will be a child of God. Maybe you're here tonight and you've done that at some point in the past, and you're looking at your life and saying, you know, just like we saw this morning, I've made mistakes, I need to turn things around, I need to start all over again, I need God's help to do that. We'd love to pray together with you.